On episode 79 of the new 8 Days a Geek podcast, Deadwood begins filming, iPhones are allergic to helium, and it's true, this console has no disc. Stay tuned. to another episode of the new eight days a geek podcast i'm your host jesse miller and joining me as always the man who says to hell with your adventure sync because installing a health app is too much goddamn work sean scott i agree with that, <laughs> that i is, agree with that introduction that is a true statement <laughs> all right so uh yeah we life happens again we I, honestly um I, i'll take the blame for this one I forgot. I've been so busy that it got to like Sunday night, right about the time, about 11 o'clock at night. And uh, I go, oh shit, we didn't record a podcast this week. And then we just collectively said, you know, fuck it. We'll, we'll record one the, na- the week after. So this is what you get. <laughs> it just gives us more things to talk about. Ooh. All right, and <clears throat> not all of them good, apparently. Uh, let's go ahead and kick into the blurbs. The very first one, starting it off with just sadness and aggravation, one after the yeah. other. Yeah. Um, I'll let you go ahead, and it's your stuff, so I'll let you take it. Yeah, well, they're blurbs for a reason, so we're not going to dwell on it. But, yeah, we do have to announce the passing of Stan Lee, you know, the uh, godfather of Marvel Comics, uh, died uh, at the age of 95, so, I mean, you can't ask for a whole lot more life than that. You know what I mean? Uh, this guy did a lot, so. I agree. I I didn't know he was 95. I knew he was way up there, but I did not know 95 was the number. I mean, imagine how much he's done in that amount of time. I mean, holy oh, cow. Yeah. yeah, it's impressive. It's impressive, which is what leads to the... Uh, uh, aggravation frustration in in the next blurb which is the fact that somebody that I actually you know uh, typically shat on Stan Lee's legacy um, on his blog earlier this week Bill Maher questioned uh, uh the passionate response to Lee's death argued that comic books aren't as culturally important as everyone makes them out to be. And uh, this was his quote. It said, uh, 20 years or so ago, something happened. Adults decided they didn't have to give up kids stuff. Uh, and so they pretended comic books were actually sophisticated literature. And because America has over 4,500 colleges, which means we need more professors than we have smart people, some dumb people got to be professors by writing theses with titles like otherness and doxy in the silver surfer uh, I, I just 
I, I don't know. I, I've, I've lost a little bit of respect for Bill Maher here. You know, I feel like he's succumbing to the same um, the same cultural problem that he complains about those, you know, at Fox News or something succumbing to, which is, you know, uh, being stuck in the past or not recognizing the importance of, I don't know, things that aren't your norm, you know, like maybe you don't get comic books. I get that. That's fine. But to argue that they're not as significantly, especially uh, argues, you know, political discourse on a daily basis. I mean, I mean, think about the topics and subject matter that comic books have tackled years uh, that they were able to talk about or get out while it wasn't just in, you know, the light of day, if you will. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, like t- comic books took on, you know, a lot of stuff like drug addiction and racism mm-hmm. and, and all kinds of different before they were being widely discussed you know politically yeah i this this all goes to what i usually say when i i basically say shh let people enjoy things <laughs> you know it's well, a very curmudgeonly look you also got to think you've also got to think that like this is coming from a guy you know, um, a very over-the-top political comedian, you know, a guy who skirts the line on a daily basis, you know. And comic books specifically have played a very large, significant role in regards to censorship, you know. Uh, like with the, what, was it, what do they call it, the old comic book code or whatever, um, you know, uh, that, that they fought against what they could and could not put in the comic books because they were supposedly, you know, for and you would think that somebody like him would have more respect for an industry that fought so hard against censorship and that and uh, to just, you know, cast it aside as nothing important just seems ignorant on his part. I agree completely. All right, so now that we got those out of the way, gaming. Uh, some gaming news. Fallout 76 uh, just released. And, of course, you know, one of, one of the key features of the game is the ability for groups of people to get together, beat high-leveled bosses uh, to gain access codes that they can then decrypt and turn into launch codes that they can fight to get into a silo and use to nuke whoever the hell they want. Um, Nuking an area is uh, kind of a major deal because it does destroy everything in that area of the map, turn it into an unlivable nuclear wasteland. So, you know, it's something the developers kind of don't want you to do easily, you know. However, a group of players have gotten together and coded a decryptor to where you don't even have to get all of the code code words, it'll help you uh, it'll help you figure those out. It'll make it a little easier for you to nuke your entire friends and blast the map into a useless oblivion. So yeah, you know, I mean, why not fuck it up for everybody else? Um, now, granted, you still have to fight the high level bosses to get the key codes in the first place. So there's a little barrier to entry here, but it's not nearly as bad. Um, you know, you fight them, you get 
most, if not all, of the codes. You still got to fight your way through the silo to get to the launch platform, you know, the launch control, and all that. But you don't have to go through the decryption process in game because the website will just do it for you. Um, do you, is what do you think? Is this is this cheating, or is this just ingenuity? I don't really know if I even understand what they're doing or the concept involved here. Well, they're taking something that the game makes you do normally in the game, but you have to do it manually and instead does it automatically for you on a website. I mean, yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, it's just it's no different than any other video game cheating. I mean, it's no different than I feel like anything else that's been done with video games, you know, but yeah, I feel like it's not, not kosher. Clearly not the intent of the game developers. Yeah. Okay. That was kind of my thoughts is that, you know, I mean, it's, it's interesting that a group of people have taken the time to put all this together and put the brain power behind it. But uh, you know, I don't know. I, I don't like the idea of being able to shortcut in a big multiplayer game like this. If it's single player, totally for it. Because, man, I'll play through a game one time with no cheats whatsoever, enjoy myself, enjoy the story. But then I go, I walk out of that vault for the second time and I am a god. I give myself every advantage I can from the console commands because maybe I just want to walk up and blow up some people's heads, you know? But in multiplayer, always play by the rules because you are you are affecting the gameplay for other people. So keep that in mind when you you know see tools like this. Uh, in more Fallout news, this was pretty cool. Uh, this might even get you to buy a smartwatch, Sean. A company <clears throat> called Neato Design has uh, come out with a. Uh, it's a one six. Was it one sixty one studio? I think is there. Yeah, uh, one six one studio. So one is spelled out, then number six, number one. Uh, it's a smartwatch that has Fallout themed faces, which is kind of cool, and some of them look really awesome. Um, I like them. Yeah, I like the Have a Great Day one. Um, the link in the show notes has a picture of the watch and. Uh, seven faces that come with it. I like the one that just looks like the inside of the Pip Boy. You know, the the, the neon green oh, yeah. light display. You know, yeah. that's kind of like the the background that I have on my phone. Yeah, and you notice it has a little heart thing. I would assume that's probably your heartbeat. And then the walking guy underneath the Pip Boy himself, um, with that twelve thousand, is probably your steps. Yeah, a lot of information there. That's that's good stuff. I also like the basic Pip Boy with the bomb as the second hand that goes around. That's kind of neat. Um, right. So I mean, it is a smart watch. It works with both iOS and Android, and uh, it's the Fallout Super Fan smartwatch. And it can integrate with your phone's voice assistant, contacts, phone dialer, everything a smartwatch can do. Um. Also supplies notifications, controls for the camera, finds your phone, keeps track of steps, heart rate, um, physical activity, that kind of stuff. Um, you can't send or reply to iOS messages with it. Um, you can only look at them. 
Uh, I mean, that's pretty normal for any phone or any watch that's not the Apple Watch. Apple has that locked down. And then uh, it also says in the fine print that it is not compatible with any Motorola Android devices. I'm not sure if that's a wireless chipset thing or what the deal is there. But um, pretty, pretty cool looking. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Let's see if they have a price here. And this this 161 Studio actually has a lot of uh, themed smartwatches, by the way. They have a Flash, a Wonder Woman, a Batman. It's kind of cool. Uh, they don't have this one listed yet, but the price is supposed to be uh, about $149.99. So, I mean, that's not bad for a smartwatch. Um, let me see if there's anything on this one sheet that tells me it's IP64 wa- uh, splash resistant, so you're not swimming with this thing. Um notifications weather music controller camera controller calendar alarm stopwatch timer do not disturb um has a 400 or wait a minute a 200 milliamp hour battery and it says it has a travel charging base that has a 400 milliamp hour battery in it so i would assume the charging base actually has its own battery to help keep the watch charged. So that's kind of cool that that would come with it. Um, and it's a 1.28 inch IPS LCD display. Uh, it's round. So that's that's awesome. Round watches are... They look more natural. So, All right. I don't know if I'm buying one, but uh, I like to see these kind of specialized smartwatches come out that are kind of... A little lower on the smartwatch price range. Right. Get people into them a little bit better. All right. So <clears throat> we've talked about this multiple times on this show, and that is that I believe console gamers should be allowed and probably should, for the most part, play with a mouse and keyboard. Um, you know, A lot of console games don't support mouse and keyboard. Some of them do. Anytime you have a console game that can do cross-play, I think mouse and keyboard is pretty much a necessity because, you know, PC gamers are using a mouse and keyboard, and that makes them faster and better and stronger and everything else. PC Master Race, wow. Um, By the way, in the show notes here from Kotaku, Mike uh, Fahey, I love his, uh, his notation underneath the picture where he says it's a picture of an Xbox One with a screen, a big TV, and a mouse and keyboard right in front of it. And he says, I love the placement of the mouse and keyboard in this official shot. This person's eyes are fucked. <laughs> uh, that's good stuff. So Xbox One will be getting mouse and keyboard support for, uh, at this moment, which is is 14 games. Um, none of these are games that I'm that familiar with. But any games are better than none because then more games will start to add it as it becomes, you know, more prevalent. Um, let's see here. Uh, Verminatide 2, Strange Brigade, Bomber Crew, Deep Rock Galactic, and Exmorph Defense. Um, let's see here. That's Those are the ones that will be getting uh, updates this month to allow mouse and keyboard. Children of Morta. Daisy, Minion Master, Moonlighter, Vigor, Warface, and Wargroove are supposed to get support, quote, in the near future. Um, 
it is up to apparently up to each game developer whether they add it or not at this point. Um, it would be really nice for all game developers to add it, you know, just as an option. I um, I know you're not a huge PC gamer, but I mean, you have any kind of input on this one? Nope, not at all. Not at all. Not even Do a little. Do not care in the slightest. It, uh, did you mention the first three in the list? Warframe, Fortnite, and War oh, Thunder? I did not. So, Fortnite, I mean, even I know that's like the biggest game in the world. So, yeah, well, well, until Red Dead Redemption 2 came out. Yep. So, um, those three also will be getting it. Uh, they weren't in the main body of it, so I missed those three. Good catch, good catch. All right. See here, cruising through it. Now this one, this one's kind of interesting. I'm torn on this this one. Uh, there's a rumor going around that the new uh, there'll be a new Xbox One model coming out that has no CD drive, no disc drive at all. Um, it'll run less than two hundred dollars, and. Basically, it's saying here on the rumor that Microsoft stores will support a program whereby users can take in a physical Xbox One game and trade it for a digital download to their Xbox Live account, which that would be kind of cool. Hmm. Yeah. Um, if they're willing to do that, you know. Um, the, new, uh, the new model is supposed to save on production and therefore retail cost. So it would become the baseline S model. Um, and then, you know, you could move up to an Xbox One X for HDR, 4K, all that good stuff. Um, there's no there's no official word on this quite yet. Uh, is this something... What, what do you think about this? I mean, it's interesting. I don't see any reason why not to pursue it. Um... I can't say whether or not I would specifically be interested in this, uh, you know, as a, a the type of console I would purchase. I don't, you know, I'm kind of old fashioned, so I would probably still go for like whatever version still offers the disc drive. You know, uh, they say in the article that they're moving very carefully with this product because they know a sizable portion of their users prefer to buy physical games. So I don't know if I would specifically be interested in it but yeah it sounds like a good idea are you um are you a physical or digital game kind of a person if you have your choice i mean i've 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 only ever really played one digital game uh and that was only because the the digital copy came free with the the 360 you know um i buy always buy physical copies of the games gotcha okay see i have actually i used to be all physical uh, no matter what but then you know it was always for me now obviously i buy like the the downloadable content you know well, things yeah. like that yeah so let's see i've i was always a physical disc kind of a person but then my excuse for that always was well that way when i sell the console i can sell the games with it and get more money but then i came to the realization that i actually haven't sold a console for a couple generations, I've just kind of kept the old one. Oh yeah, I have all my consoles that I've had since I was at least you know a young adult. 
Exactly. So then wouldn't it be better to basically have a console like this with all your games loaded on it and that's the only thing you have to keep back for all your retro gaming instead of like right now I have a whole shelf full of Xbox 360 games because I still have an Xbox 360. Sure. You know, I'm, I'm torn because I do like the idea of the physical disc being able to trade it in, sell it, give it to friends, whatever. But, you know, when it comes right down to it, I don't do that nearly as often as you would, you know, warrant um, having the physical copy take up space in my house. So I don't know. I'm torn on that one. I think if they're going to go to all digital, we need some bigger freaking hard drives in these consoles, though, because I don't even think a terabyte is enough anymore. I think you need, if you're going to go all digital, it needs at least a terabyte and a half to two terabytes, or they need to either cut you a crazy deal on an an external hard drive or give you an external hard drive. Something has to give because it's just not enough space for high-def games. I mean, uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 was almost 90 gigabytes, I think, for its download. You know, that's one game. Yeah. So... All right. <clears throat> so now, I have to tell you something, Trevor. It's time for TV news. Mr. Scott, your car is ready. All right. So lots of TV news. Um, we'll start with the CW has decided to reboot a cult sci-fi uh, series from the originally aired on the USA Network. Uh, it was a, I don't know if you want to call it time travel. Uh, did you watch this show at all? I did not. I always saw it on the guide, but had no idea what it was. So I never tuned into it. Gotcha. So uh, the show we're referring to is The 4400, which aired on uh, USA in the early aughts, I believe. Uh, It was originally produced by CBS Paramount Network Television, and the reboot for CW will be produced by the same company, CBS Television Studios, as it's now known. Um, And... The uh, let's see in the series over the course of recent history, four thousand four hundred young adults in their reproductive prime have gone missing all over the world. Some disappearances have as recently as a few weeks. Some uh, some disappearances happened as recently as a few weeks ago, while others date back as far as the Soviet. What so date as far back as the day the Soviets launched the Sputnik satellite in 1957? One day in 2019, all 4,400 show up at the sites of their original abductions. None of them have aged a day, and none have any memory of where they've been. The so-called 4400 must grapple with their return to a changed and hostile world and also contend with the reality that they've come back altered in ways that none of them yet understand. So it's about, you know, 4400 people who are abducted and then reappear. Uh, I don't even know. You know, it, apparently in the reboot it's it's over different courses of time. I believe in the uh in the original series, everyone was abducted from like one 
specific era, maybe. Um, I didn't watch the original show either, but I have a vague familiarity with it. And I know that uh, it had a, a pretty good you know, cult following to it. So it's kind of interesting to see the CW reboot this and, and venture into the more, you know, sci-fi genre. They don't do a whole lot of that, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Other than superhero stuff, I guess. It sounds really interesting now that I've actually heard the synopsis. I wish the title would give you more, you know, right? more view into what what you're actually watching. But now that I've heard it, yeah, sure, I might even go back and watch the original. I know, I, I believe my wife was a big fan of the show when it was originally on television. Gotcha. Awesome. Let's see. The next story we've got for you is something we've talked about in the past previously. Uh, rumor after rumor, uh, you know, hint after hint that they could possibly do one. Are they? Will they? Won't they? Uh, and it is now official. It has been announced. HBO uh, has begun filming Deadwood movie. Oh, boy. Um, this should be a culmination. Uh, to the Deadwood saga that began, you know, years ago, uh, what I think it ran for three seasons on on HBO before it ended. Um, so the synopsis was that it was going to take place. Let's see. The indelible characters of the series are reunited after 10 years to celebrate South Dakota's statehood. Former rivalries are reignited, alliances are tested, and old wounds are reopened as all are left to navigate the inevitable changes that modernity and time have wrought. Uh, Basically, everyone is coming back for uh, the movie, the the only person who obviously wouldn't be would be Powers Booth, who we talked about passing away, you know, earlier this year, uh, and and we talked about how that could impact, you know, this the possibility of this movie taking place. Um, and now we will see. Obviously, you know, they're gonna they're moving forward, and and everyone else has essentially uh, agreed to come back and reprise their roles. You know, headed led by Timothy Oliphant, who was the the star of the original. So I'm super excited about this. I love I love this show. It was such a good show. Uh, oh, and Ian McShane, obviously, we can't forget him. Oh you God, know, you could aside from Timothy Oliphant, you know, Ian <laughs> Ian McShane, obviously. Um, you have to have those. So two. it doesn't matter who else comes back. It's got to be those two. <laughs> because oh my God, I mean the, the the give and take between those two characters is the most amazing. I I don't even want to call it hero and villain because they are so uh, morally ambiguous between the two of them. Like they flip flop so crazy sure. that it's it's just you can't not enjoy watching it. You know, man, that that show was so amazing. I actually, when Red Dead Redemption was uh, about to release, I went back and I rewatched the whole show um, to remind myself how amazing it is. And, uh, God, this is going to be a really cool movie. <laughs> I can't wait. Even if it's bad, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> oh, it can't be bad. There's no way it can be bad. <laughs> no. I don't even know how that could be possible. No, I can't imagine. 
with all of the same people involved. And, you know, I mean, I understand they have to do like a whole 10 years later storyline, but still, I just, it, it just seems like this is, uh, this is something everybody's been waiting for. There's no, there's no way they could do this wrong. Uh, they have everything in place to do a, a fantastic uh, culmination of the show. Awesome. So let's see the next story we've got, uh, and and right off the bat we'll we'll say that like uh, there are going to be some spoilers here because we're gonna we're gonna talk and not really spoilers because you know it aired like two weeks ago, but uh, we're gonna talk about Rick Grimes' final episode of The Walking Dead. Uh, so if you haven't seen that yet, you know um, you want to skip ahead to the next story. So. Um, with that being said, about two weeks ago, AMC aired the or aired Rick Grimes's final episode of The Walking Dead, and as it was uh, rumored to be that it wouldn't be a, a regular, uh, or as ComicBook.com calls it, he wouldn't exit in a traditional fashion. Um, he he was not killed off the show. Uh, instead, suffering you know a grievous wound and then being spirited away by a, a particular character and her shady friends who have a helicopter. And no, Shane, come back. Uh, it's. <laughs> Like I was left like just really uh, curious as to like what they're gonna do here because I just I don't know it all feel it all felt weird uh, especially because as they go on to but I guess have a little more insight because it was quickly announced after that episode that Rick Grimes or that Andrew Lincoln would be reprising his role as Rick Grimes in three Walking Dead television movies so we will get to see more of his story we're going to get to see what happens to him where he goes uh and and what takes place there but he did unequivocally say that he will never be returning to the television show uh in any way so that just seems kind of strange to me because like all the people in the television show, other than the person who kidnaps him and takes him away when he's grievously wounded, um, everyone is led to believe that he's dead. And, and not only that, but then the, 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 the regular show, uh, you know, after everyone believes Rick Grimes passes away, um, the timeline skips ahead, um, several years into the future. And that's where the show is now, taking place is like five six years or something like that after uh the death of rick grimes and so it just feels odd to me that like they're they're making all of the main you know cast member or not cast members but all of the main characters uh believe that the the hero the main character you know the guy who started it all is is, is dead and and they're never going to resolve that you know what i mean in regards to the television series at least as far as i know because he'll never be returning to at least let everybody know hey i didn't die you know it just i don't know it just all feels unfinished you know um i'm not sure i like the the writing style maybe well like I said, it's it's what I call the Shane exit. And it's, you know, from the movie, the old West movie Shane, where he's grievously injured, rides off into the sunset. The kid's like, Shane, come back. And it never actually shows him dead. But you know he's dead. <laughs> you know? 
Uh, it's that kind. Of, it's that right, kind but of it's the exact opposite because they all think he's dead, but he's not dead. But he's not, and dead. they're never going to know that, that he's not dead. Yeah, and it's that ambiguous dead thing. Um, yeah, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, same thing. Yeah, they're surrounded on all sides. They're about to bust out the door and try and shoot their way out, go down in a blaze of glory. But you don't know. It's Schrodinger's death. You know, you don't know if they're dead or not. They're both dead. Well, and honestly. And I guess here's the thing. If if for me, if they had just ended the episode with, you know, uh, if they had ended it in in an ambiguous way where, you know, you absolutely weren't positively certain, that's fine. However, it's a little different to end it over here on the left in the television show with that ambiguity. And it, and then on the right over here, we're going to make three new television movies, you know, telling this whole story. And, and it's no longer ambiguous. You know, now we know for certain that he did, in fact, survive. And all of those characters, all those poor characters over here are, are, are left not knowing that, you know, and it makes me feel bad for the characters in, in, in the regular series. Yeah, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> so with that being said uh walking dead movies are coming and uh i believe this article states that uh it began production this year and it could arrive on amc by 2020 at this point the film does not yet have a script so um you know you can expect that in 2020 i guess and by then, you know, we'll maybe have a little more answers in regards to the timeline of events. You know what I mean? Because, like, again, they skipped ahead like six years or whatever. So maybe um, Rick's stories are going to take place, you know, immediately after his kidnapping. And uh, and then perhaps, you know, sometime in the future in that six, you know, after those six years have passed or whatnot there, even if he doesn't appear, maybe there could be something that they encounter or someone they encounter who could clue them in, in regards to the fact that, you know, he is still alive or was still alive at the time, you know, something like that. You know what I mean? Something that could risk something they could still resolve it with in the television series. Uh, even if he doesn't make an appearance, that's what I'm holding that hope for now. I am not vested in these characters at all. <laughs> yeah, I know you gave up way back at the prison because somebody was cutting the grass or something. We know, we know. You're just too you're too critical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alrighty. <clears throat> so next story is some more television sad news. Uh, but although not all sad news. Uh, typically we love our Christmas day because we get a new Doctor Who special every year. It has become tradition uh, up until now. This year there will not be a Christmas special of Doctor Who. There's too many changes. Uh, there apparently is uh, rumors or rumblings that, you know, they've essentially run out of ideas and that, you know, it's very difficult to write a Christmas themed episode every every season uh, or not even a Christmas themed episode, but a Christmas themed special because they are, you know, usually, a, a, you know, a little bit longer than the typical episode. So there will be no Christmas special this year. However... There will be a New Year's Day special. Uh, 
So this will be the first time since David Tennant's Doctor Who uh, that uh, where his regeneration was shown in two parts on both Christmas and New Year's. This will be the first time since David Tennant's era that uh, Doctor Who has aired on New Year's Day. So you will have a, uh, a, a New Year's Day special to enjoy. Hmm. How do you feel about that? Um, I'm all right with it. I mean, the Christmas thing has its own little special um, little place in my heart, you know, because the all the cartoons always used to have a Christmas special, and <clears throat> we used—I mean, I grew up as a kid having Christmas specials. But right, I mean, you know, as long as there's, I think I'm okay with it. As long as there's some kind of special during the holiday season in general. It doesn't have to be Christmas unless you have a really cool Christmas storyline. Story sure. Then yeah, Christmas. But other than that, I'm I'm fine with whatever, you know. And this new doctor, you know, breaking down walls, doing doing things different than the last guy. So um yeah, I I'm I'm a couple episodes behind on this season. I still haven't been 100% sold where I'm at on uh Jodie Whittaker, but I don't mind it. I don't hate it. I just haven't been like hooked quite yet. But then again, <clears throat> I don't remember where Capaldi was when he put on the sunglasses. That was the episode that hooked me for him. Right. That was like two or three in. So I'm I'm still waiting. But if they have a really interesting thing that goes along with New Year's Day, you know, I'm fine with that. It doesn't have to be Christmas. I'll just I'll, well, re- I'll remember and- that. I- I have, I, I am current, you know, I've, I've watched each episode, you know, uh, the week it's aired and I, I've very much enjoyed Jodie Whittaker's portrayal of the doctor. What kind of disturbs me a little bit already though, is that in addition to this whole, you know, Christmas special, uh, new year's special change, I've also read rumors, uh, from the British tabloids online that say, the uh, showrunner Chris Chibnall um, is already expressing discontent in the uh, role of showrunner, and that he may be leaving after the next series. Uh, series I think is a eleven or twelve. Twelve, maybe I think this is a season eleven. Either way. Um, that uh, you know he would he would be responsible for the next season of production, and that after that season he might be exiting the show already. And the rumor is is that if he exits the show, that so will Jodie Whittaker. Uh, and so I, I just feel like um, I don't know. This is a show that's gone on for so many years. You know, it's been around for for decades. And they seem to be passing the baton faster and faster uh, to new doctors and nobody really hanging around that long or wanting to keep the role for a, a decent period of time. You know what I mean? And, and that concerns me for the um, future of the show in general if it becomes something that – it's not a coveted role necessarily, or you only covet it for a year or two years so you can use it as a springboard to something bigger and better because, oh, I spent my time as the doctor. Now I can be the next, you know, uh, whatever. Um, I don't know. I, I agree 
with you. I it does worry me as well because, uh, like Eccleston, I always wanted to see more Eccleston. I liked him as the Doctor. Right, you, you get one season from characters. one season from Eccleston, and then I—I I mean, I don't even know off the top of my head, but I think it was like what three seasons from Tennant, and uh, you know, uh, I don't know, four seasons maybe from Matt Smith. Uh, and 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 even then, like because like those maybe three seasons or four seasons may span five years or six years because you know sometimes they take extended breaks between seasons and maybe only do a special during a seat during a year or something like that. Especially during the Tenant era, I know they had at least one or two years during his era where there wasn't like an actual season, but they did like the Waters from Mars. To TV movie and 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 things like that. They did specials, you know, in addition to the holiday ones. Um, but I just I want to see somebody take on the role and you know roll with it for a while. And and uh, and another thing is I really just don't understand because like in some of the grumblings and complainings that I've read, uh, it, it seems to insinuate that Chibnall, the the showrunner feels that the production grind is too much that you know they're being asked to produce too too many episodes and too much content and whatnot and i think maybe that's just a difference in like the culture because you know dude you're only doing like 10 episodes a season you know like on american television you know these even an hour long drama does on network 20, 20 episodes in, in a year, you know, oh, yeah. every year, you know? Uh, so I, I don't, I don't necessarily feel for him if that is his complaint because I'm just a spoiled rotten American and I'm used to getting, you know, 20 episodes of my favorite show. So when you complain about having to make 10 and how that's too much, I'm, nah, I don't, uh, I can't feel for you there, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, now, you know, I mean, if he wants to uh, take the doctor into a Sherlock role where we get three hour and a half long episodes. Right. And that's kind know. of like what they did during like those seasons with with David Tennant, where they did, you know, like one or two. And now they only did like one or two those years, but they would do like one or two, you know, hour and a half long uh, you know, either TV movies or specials, whatever you want to call them. So, you know, they, they've done that somewhat in the past. And, and if that's what they want to do, fine. You know, um, I could, I could deal with that, but, you know, to complain that having to do, you know, two seasons back to back or, you know, produce a Christmas special in addition is, is just too much work. But apparently there were rumors before the, the show ever even, was given to him that he didn't want to be a showrunner or he had said in the past that he didn't want to be a showrunner. So maybe it's just him, you know, having been a role been thrust upon him that he never wanted in the first place. Yeah, maybe, but I, I would mean, hope that that wouldn't affect Jody Whittaker's, you know, uh, exit, you know, uh, leaving the show or, or whatever you however you want to put it because just because he's gone doesn't mean she has to leave as well. You know, I know that that's kind of the way it has been in the past, but I believe at least one of the doctors like, well, cause the, when the show, when Russell T Davies left, 
David Tennant left, I believe, right? I think so, yeah. And then Moffat took over with Matt Smith. And then when Moffat left and gave it to Chibnall, Jodie Whittaker took over. So I don't know how it worked, you know, in the years prior to that, but it doesn't necessarily mean it always has to be like that, does it? <laughs> Break the cycle. <laughs> Tear down walls. <laughs> so, all right. Well, that's all we've got about Doctor Who. Uh, let's move on to Disney and uh, their streaming service, which we have talked about previously, was finally a, given a name. And the service slated to launch in the U.S. in late 2019 will be called Disney Plus. Plus with like a plus sign, not like the word plus. So, yeah, clever. Mm -hmm. um, they also announced along with the name that they will have – they've announced two more live action shows that will be hitting the service itself. Uh, one is a Star Wars spinoff, which will see Diego Luna reprise his role as Cassian Andor uh, set before Rogue One, a Star Wars story. So it will be like a prequel series uh, set before Rogue One. And then they also confirmed a previously rumored Loki series that will see Tom Hiddleston star once again as um, Loki in, in a streaming service or a streaming series. So that's kind of cool, too, because we all know that Loki did not make it out of the Infinity War. Uh, but yet we get to see more Loki because he's a fun character. And that's kind of cool. Did he, though? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Where did everyone go? We don't know. Exactly. I don't feel so well, Mr. Stark. <laughs> oh, I don't need I don't need another streaming service. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, but I have a feeling that like, you know, eventually it's going to come down to, you know, uh, you know, like the big boys, you know, and and this is going to be one of them because it's got Disney behind it, right? Well, like yeah. the, so we kind of need to pay attention to what they're doing and 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 consider it because eventually they're going to gobble up somebody else and and or everything else and we're just and you know we're just going to have Disney Plus, Hulu and Netflix, you know. The United States of Disney. Well, and I mean you've got you've got Amazon. Yeah. Um but Amazon's to be fair, I feel like is like lacking already uh you know in some of these yeah. I don't know, compar comparisons. Just in regards to quality of content. Yeah, I mean, you got to figure, though, for them, it's not their primary business, which I guess for... Di right. Well, media is Disney's primary business. Sure, sure. Amazon's but Amazon, Amazon also has some stuff coming out, too, that we've talked about. You know, like Good Omens is coming out soon and things like that, which should uh, increase their standing, hopefully. Yeah. But... I can tell you that, you know, as a person who has access to many of the streaming services that we talk about, Amazon is always an afterthought almost when it's coming to when it comes to me looking for something to watch, you know. Awesome. All right. What is next? Hulu. More streaming service news. Uh, Hulu has greenlit a new 
new animated adult animated series based on a comic book called Sweet Tooth. Uh, let's see. I want to get the guy's name right because he comes up later in, in the show as well. So his name is Jeff Lemire. And the project itself actually hails from Robert Downey Jr. and Susan Downey uh, and, and Team Downey. So apparently they have like their own production company, you know, the, the Downies do. As the and, Downies do? As the Downies do, right. So uh, Sweet Tooth is the coming-of-age fable of Gus, a boy-slash-deer <laughs> hybrid who leaves home to find the world ravaged by a cataclysmic event. He joins a ragtag family of hybrids and humans, searching to find answers behind the event, ultimately discovering a vast conspiracy that forces him to question his very existence. Um <laughs> It sounds really weird and interesting, doesn't it? Like, yeah. I'm not familiar with the comic, but uh, apparently this guy, Jeff Lemire, um, as I said a minute ago, he's going to come up uh, again, and he is apparently very much in demand at the moment and has written a lot of things that are getting treatments and green-lighted uh, pilots and series and, and things like that. So um, you're going to probably see his name a lot in the future I would think because just with the amount of stuff he's involved in at this point um, odds would say at least one of them is going to be very successful you know um, this book itself uh, comes from the DC Vertigo series I don't know what DC Vertigo is I'm assuming it's some kind of like adult you know more yeah, risque offshoot of DC Comics darker DC Comics right so uh, Sweet Tooth it says here on this deadline article is uh, looking to join iZombie heading into its final fifth and final season on the CW Lucifer which is moving to Netflix and AMC's Preacher as uh, you know, Vertigo properties that have become um, you know ongoing television series. So those are three, and I watch both Lucifer and Preacher. I've never watched iZombie before, but I, I I like I really like Lucifer and Preacher is good, but it's kind of like so odd and heavy at times that it's hard to it's hard to get into for me, you know. Um, because I do lean more towards the lighthearted stuff. So, and I'm, I, I feel like this particular s s uh, story might also have that, that problem for me, but, uh, that would not hinder my decision to give it a try. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll try it. I mean, I've got Hulu. I might as well try it. Um, it definitely is, sounds weird. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see what happens. Sweet tooth. I might have to look up those comics and just read a couple of them. Because even the art style looks trippy. Yeah. And we will, like I said, we'll talk more about him, Jeff Lemire, when we get down into the uh, movie category. So his name will come up again. Uh, and the final story we've got, for and television is on the sci-fi network they're diving back into the world of original animation and uh they recently purchased the rights to air futurama and it has already been doing well for the network increasing their ratings immensely and bringing in a lot of 
new viewers to the network, um, and they have decided to expand upon the animation uh, audience by bringing their own new original animated series to the table and it will be called Alien News Desk and it's from the Saturday Night Live team so this is going to be a weekly half hour topical animated series starring Will Forte and Heidi Gardner Uh, it will debut in early 2019 and it Mark Sci-Fi's first original late-night animated series. So it's going to have uh, a Saturday Night Live pedigree <clears throat> excuse me, behind it. In addition to current SNL cast member Gardner and former star Forte voicing the two leads, uh, Saturday Night Live boss Lorne Michaels executive produces alongside Saturday Night Live producer Eric Kenward, as well as Saturday Night Live Weekend Update head writer Dennis McNicholas, who serves as the showrunner for the show. So this is essentially Saturday Night Live's Weekend Update told from the animated perspective of aliens looking down upon Earth. That sounds awesome. sounds pretty funny to me. <laughs> yeah, that sounds awesome. Sounds pretty funny to me, and it sounds like it sounds like an interesting way to get into the uh, you know get back into the original animation and and try to you know just do something different on the sci-fi network. Um, so I think it sounds pretty cool, and and it could it could be done really good, but I also think it's something that they could easily just do. It could be awful, you know. Uh, so it's really gonna it's really gonna matter on how how delicately they handle everything. Um, I'm, I don't know how I feel like I've watched so many things with Will Forte in them, but like none of them have I ever been really super into, even though I've seen him in all kinds of stuff. So I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'll definitely give it a try, but I don't know if I have high hopes for it. Yeah, I'll give it a shot. I I think it's funny, and I I like sci-fi's spin on things lately because they brought me back to their network with Happy. Yeah. You know? Yes, and that's um, new original shows that again, like that's that's part of their push to bring you know a bunch of new content and just you know uh, um, not rebrand the network but reinvigorate the network. Exactly. I guess. If- so new ideas, new shows. I'll give them a shot. Why not? You know. All right, so now tech news. On to some tech news. Um, <clears throat> everybody knows uh, that listens to this. I am a big fan of the Raspberry Pi, and um, pretty much ever have owned pretty much every single model that has come out. Well, the uh, the Raspberry Pi um, originally the original uh, Raspberry Pi had a little had a littler version you know you had the you had the full size one that had the us the multiple usb ports the ethernet port uh hdmi you know all the all the different stuff on the board it was a it was the same size as it is now but it had a lot of extra ports if you're building something super tiny that you need you know all the space you can get that's not ideal uh you can make it work but it's not perfect so they came out with a smaller version back then where you took a lot of ports off of it, you cut the memory down, you took some stuff out, 
and it made it a lot smaller. Well, they haven't done that since. Now, since we have the um, Raspberry Pi uh, B+, which is, you know, the newest um, awesome uh, Raspberry Pi that has just come out, they are now debuting the Raspberry Pi 3 Model A+. All right, it has uh, what what you uh, what you get here is you get a smaller board, not as many ports on it. You still have the audio port. Uh, all the headers on the board are still there, like the camera header, the GPIO header, all that stuff. But you you uh, you give up four USB ports and an Ethernet port, and you get one USB port instead, one HDMI and one micro USB for power. Uh, you also have an audio jack there if you need it, but it's still using the 1.4 gigahertz quad core 64 bit processor, the wireless LAN, the Bluetooth. Um, let's see here, uh, 512 gigs of or 512 megabytes of memory. Um, you know, it's I mean the the USB port is 2.0 which all the ones on the big one are it would have been cool to see a 3.0 but that would have made it more expensive so this is all about making it as small as possible as few ports as possible while still having the power of the raspberry pi 3 behind it so you don't have to go to one of the uh, zeros or the zero w's this is absolutely fantastic for people who make tiny projects um one of the reasons that, you know, for instance, one project that I've done recently uh, is called the Pi Cart, and it's basically a Raspberry Pi Zero inside of a Nintendo game cartridge, and it plays as an emulator for whatever games you could want to load on it. But because the Raspberry Pi 3 was so large, I couldn't put that one in the cart. It had to be the Raspberry Pi Zero W. Uh, which doesn't have as much processing power. It's not as fast. So I can't play as new games on it as I could on a Raspberry Pi 3. With this one, this particular Raspberry Pi might be small enough to fit inside that cart now without its uh, USB port sticking up. In which case, this becomes my new go-to board. Um, I will probably buy at least one of these, if not more. Uh, they are awesome little uh, little devices. Uh, it's still about the same price as the full-size version, so it's about $30 US. Um, so if you're looking if you're looking for a new little project board, maybe take a look at them. I mean, they're fantastic little things if you don't need all those extra USB ports. Uh, I know we, we have locally an um, electronics store called Micro Center that sells Raspberry Pi, the full-size version, for about $30. I would assume... At a store like this, or a store like that, these will probably be more like $25, maybe? I don't know. But uh, I love the fact that the Raspberry Pi folks are continuing to innovate a little bit here and there. Um, and they did say that this is kind of the last integration or, um, of the, uh, the current standing of the Raspberry Pi, that the next version is going to be, you know, the holy crap update kind of a thing. So... Awesome. All right. Uh, Amazon has a few Black Friday deals that they have revealed. 
uh, on all of their devices, obviously. So let's see here. First thing um, says on this article from nine to five toys that the deals are going to start as early as November 16th. Um, I'll run through these real quick. You got fire HD seven kids version for $70, normally a hundred. Uh, Fire HD 8 kids version, $90, regularly $120. Fire HD 10 for $100. That's actually a pretty decent price, uh, normally $150. Fire HD 10 for kids is $150, regular $200. And if I remember correctly, the kids versions are the ones that have the two-year whatever-the-hell-you-do-to-it-will-replace-it warranty on it. So if you're looking for a cheap starter tablet for your child... That's actually not a bad one to get because if they fold the thing in half or drop it out of the car window, you can get it replaced. So that's kind of nice. Um, says November 21st will be discounts on Amazon streaming products. Uh, Fire TV for 25 bucks. If you don't have a streaming stick, that's a hell of a price to get one at. You can get the Fire Stick 4K for 35 which is awesome. And if you want that new Fire TV Cube, it will go down to half price for $60. That's uh, that's actually a hell of a deal. I might have to pick one of those up. Um, also, November 21st, if you've been waiting to get a security camera system, uh, a Blink XT camera will be $79. They're normally $130. Or the Blink XT 3-pack will go down to $230. Um, that's about, that's almost a hundred dollars off for those. Uh, let's see here. Da, 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 da. On November 22nd, uh, the smart plug will be $5 off when you purchase it with any echo device. Um, you also get, uh, the HD seven for $30. So if you're looking for throwaway tablets, there you go. The HD eight for 50. Kindle Paperwhite for $80 is a really good e-reader. Uh, here's the ones that I'm interested in. The Echo Dot will be $24. That is a, just a hell of a price for what they do. You know, 24 bucks is throwaway money at that point. Um, the regular Echo is 69 The Echo Plus is 110 Echo Spot is 90 And the Echo Show is 170 So, I mean, if you're uh, in the Amazon ecosystem... Or you want to be some really good deals coming up for us on Black Friday. Which really, truly, Black Friday is when you want to buy the Amazon stuff anyway. All right. Um, You still have an iPhone for work, don't you, Sean? Yep. Okay. uh, Do me a favor. Don't get it near helium. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, because iPhones are allergic to helium. Apparently, and I and uh, Apple Watches totally allergic to helium. So, this article almost made it into the LOL OMG WTF because I thought it was just such a cool concept. Uh, but I ended up putting it here because it was Apple devices. So, <clears throat> so there was a uh, uh, I'm trying to find this guy's name here. Um, Eric Wooldridge is a system specialist at Morris Hospital near Chicago. This comes from ifixit.org. Um, they were installing a new GE Healthcare MRI machine. That's the uh, magnetic resonance imager, the you know the big tube you get stuck in to um, 
take pictures of everything inside your body. And, well, those are basically the way they work is they have giant magnets that excite particles that are in your body and, you know, with radioactive um, things that are, at, you know, that you drink and stuff. And But these giant, huge magnets that are crazy, crazy strong have to be cooled because they get, you know, to, they get hot. And then they also to be as magnetic as they are, they got to be cold. So to do that, the easiest way, liquid helium. Well, as you can imagine, if you get a little bit of a leak, uh, that could be an issue. You could lose a lot of helium really, really fast because helium expands about 750 times uh, its size going from liquid to gas. So what ends up happening, they're installing this new MRI machine and a vent has a little bit of a leak in it. And... Before they notice the leak, people start talking about a lot of glitches with their Apple devices. Phones that just won't turn on anymore. That you plug them into the wall and they don't power on. They don't say they're charging. They don't do anything. Watches that glitch out. The touchscreens don't work. And then they shut off. Just a slew of crazy problems. Uh, Only Apple devices, though. Which is the weird part. So... They figure out there's a helium link, a leak in this MRI machine on a vent. Um, they approximate that 120 liters of liquid helium vented out, which ends up being about 90,000 liters of gaseous helium. Um, and because the MRI room is not technically any kind of a hazmat zone or anything like that, it's not on its own AC loop. You know, it's HVAC, the vents, the air that's going through it. So the helium leaks out of the MRI machine and then spreads across the entire uh, hospital, which would have been hilarious to hear because it was probably diffused enough that you didn't notice people's voices being a little higher than normal, but I bet they actually were. and That would have been kind of funny. Um, But basically, this guy starts uh, doing all kinds of little tests and things like that, Uh, and he's kind of narrowed it down, and this, this makes total sense to one of the oscillators, the quartz oscillators that are used in Apple devices. Now, everything uh, pretty much uses quartz oscillators. They're, uh, when you buy a watch, a little cheap watch, and it says quartz movement, that's what a quartz oscillator is. It vibrates at a certain frequency, usually about 32 kilohertz, and that's set, that can be used to set time. And... The, these oscillators are basically used in every, pretty much every electronic device to set the time. Um, for some devices, that is quite literal, like a watch telling you what time it is. With a, something like a, uh, you know, an advanced smartphone, it actually helps the processor keep itself in time. So if that oscillator doesn't work, absolutely, positively, everything in the device grinds to a halt because everything relies on that oscillator. Um, basically, these are, you know, yeah, they don't have to deal with water because water is a big molecule. It has, uh, you know, two hydrogens and an oxygen atom. It's, they're, they're huge. However, helium is an itty-bitty little molecule. It can get pretty much anywhere it wants. It's tiny. 
And because of that, it was getting inside of these oscillators and screwing up the works a little bit. Um, the uh, It's a known issue, as a matter of fact. Uh, if you go to Apple's user guide for the iPhone and Apple Watch, it says, exposing iPhone to environments having high concentrations of industrial chemicals, including near-evaporating liquefied gases such as helium, may damage or impair iPhone functionality. Uh, it says that if this happens, you have to take it out of that environment and leave it uh, unplugged and airing out for a week. Um, afterwards, you can plug it up into power from the wall, charge it for an hour, and then see if it can be turned on after that. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's such an interesting problem, you know? Uh, you would have never thought this would have been an issue. And especially at, you know, the amount of helium uh, parts per million, I don't know what it would have been. That's an astronomical calculation that I certainly can't do. But in this amount of helium per regular air, still having that kind of an effect on these devices. Um, I would have never thought that that, would have, that could have happened, that that would have been a problem. Did I just blow your mind? <clears throat> no, I mean I'm really not not necessarily surprised. I it just seems like this is. I mean, first of all, it's something they knew about. You know, it clearly says like in the user guide there. Uh, but in addition to that, they say that uh, these other kinds of chips, because I've been like reading this as you've been talking here, um, and it says here that uh, these MEMS devices that uh, they've called uh, another manufacturer and uh, that makes these types of devices and, and confirmed that their products are also susceptible to the same kind of thing. Like, apparently it's something that's, you know, pretty widely known. It's just that how often does something like that happen where your device is exposed to a concentration high enough that it would affect it? And this was just one of those rare instances where that happened and it kind of brought it to the forefront, you know, of everyone's attention. Yeah, this is not helium gate. This is not this is not like a, a failing in the iPhone. It's just it right, happens. Right. You know? Um it could also be that the hardware or software on Android, for instance, is made with a higher, um, you know, a more looser tolerance, so it didn't affect it quite as much. You know, it's not that those the processors are more uh, helium resistant because they're not. It could just be that Android is willing to put up with a few more uh, misplaced bits in its code than iOS is. So, I just thought this was incredibly interesting because I. Like I said, I would have never thought about this. Um, I guess because I'm not ever around industrial gases, but it's interesting. Right. All right. All right. Next one. I think we all need to agree that the FCC has a problem. And uh, this time it's not even Ajet Pie. So, you know. Um, <laughs> this is interesting. So, uh, a speech given uh, at the Telcom-funded Media Institute by FCC Commissioner Michael Riley uh, said basically that 
uh, cities building their own broadband networks is an ominous threat to the First Amendment. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he knows how the First Amendment works, but uh, it says here in this article from Motherboard, in his speech, O'Reilly insinuated without evidence that community-owned and operated broadband networks would naturally result in local governments aggressively limiting American free speech rights. Uh, He says, I would be remiss if my address omitted a discussion of lesser known but particularly ominous threat to the First Amendment in the age of the Internet, state-owned and operated broadband networks. Dun-dun-dun. So he's claiming that uh, we should be fearful of community-owned broadband networks because they might limit our freedom of speech in the same way that we are trying to convince them that make that you know them being corporate-owned it does. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like <laughs> we're trying to explain to these assholes <laughs> that letting these corporations run this stuff without any kind of rules or governance is limiting our freedoms. And yet they're like, oh, no, you don't want a community owned. That would limit your freedoms. <laughs> exactly. A bunch of assholes. Exactly. Uh, okay. So uh, one municipality that does have their own broadband ne- network, Chattanooga, Tennessee. What? I did not know that, by the way, but that's interesting. Um, they uh, A consumer report survey of over 176,000 Americans on that ISP rated it the highest in the country in terms of speed, value, and reliability. Uh, basically, the big guys don't like it because now they have to compete mm-hmm. uh, legally with these kind of municipality-owned ISPs. Uh, let's see here. It says, for instance, they specifically name a couple in Chattanooga. ISPs like AT&T and Comcast have been forced to dramatically reduce their pricing for gigabit broadband in particular. Comcast was also forced to deploy significantly faster broadband in the city, uh, after attempt, after it attempted to prevent the network from being built by filing several unsuccessful lawsuits. So basically, the municipalities can do it cheaper, faster, better, and stronger, and the big ISPs don't want to put in the money to do any of those things. But that right. means those local governments can be infringing on our rights and ticking our jobs <laughs> and all those other little straw man buzzwords that the FCC loves to use to make people think that something is bad. Um. So, yeah, the FCC has a problem with stating things that are not only false, but also that are false with absolutely no evidence at all of being true. Because the only thing that was cited about this entire thing is that, you know, one of the ISPs that they had uh, said that they're, you know, they had rules against threatening and, um, what was it, threatening and hateful or abusive language. Uh, every ISP has that in their terms of use. I hate to say it, but they do. And, you know, I mean, threatening, abusive, hateful. The the department of buzzwords the FCC has become should know that these are all terms that are used to help protect ISPs and people using them. It's not to take away your First Amendment rights. No ISP in their right mind would use those to take away your first amendment rights. They'd be sued into the next century. You know, I, Oh, fucking FCC. 
I just hate him so much. And now I have another face to hate. Uh, Michael Riley. <laughs> which also has a very punchable face, by the way. You're on our list, Michael Riley. <laughs> People I can't wait to punch in the face. <laughs> uh, we just starting to think we need to just get rid of the FCC. Just disband it completely. Oh, well. Anyway, uh, last story I've got for you in the tech news. YouTube has quietly decided to offer ad-supported movies for free. Imagine that. Hmm. Um, so basically, it's it's older movies and stuff like that. Stuff that most people don't watch or don't pay to watch anyway. Um, Legally Blonde, Agent Cody Banks, and the original Terminator are among the uh, pedigree there. However, they're free. And you can just watch them. They're ad-supported. I, I, I really like this idea because, I mean, it works with the studios because the studios get money, you know, in the, as studios do. But it also allows people to watch a movie for free and not have to have one of the billion uh, streaming services that are out there right now. You know, they could just go onto YouTube and watch a movie. Even if it's not an amazing movie, it's still a movie. I mean, because a lot of times I think we forget in the age of streaming services and streaming sticks and smart TVs and uh, ubiquitous devices all around us that some people can't afford any of that stuff. They have one entry-level you know, laptop that either they bought or a friend gave them and they can't afford to have Netflix or Hulu or any of these things. And I, I believe it's nice when a company does something even a little bit of something like this to kind of give, you know, to give people something, no matter who they are, just a nice little free thing. And the company's still making money, obviously, because it's ad supported right. and things like that. But I, I really like when a company does kind of take a hit just to help out the little guy. So, um, <clears throat> I'm trying to see. I don't know if there's a specific section in YouTube for this. Because uh, I, since I have YouTube Red, I don't know if mine will show up the same as everybody else's. Uh, I don't even know how you would actually get to it, to be honest. Let me see if I can just look for Terminator, since that's one they mentioned. All right, so YouTube Movies, The Terminator. Um, Yeah. You just search for the Terminator, it pops up. Uh, it's an hour and 47 minutes long. I'm watching it right now. So, yeah, you just search YouTube for the movie you want to watch. See if it's on there, I guess. Um, you can also go to... There's apparently a YouTube movies and shows section in YouTube that you can go to. Um I don't see a free section on there, so you might have to search around. But they are there. So, yeah, if you've been hankering to watch The Terminator and see Arnold Schwarzenegger's um, mostly naked, chiseled butt go across the screen at the very beginning. Knock yourself out. Let's see, it was the second one that he asked for the boots, the shoes, and a motorcycle, wasn't it? Yeah, this, that was the second one. I don't remember. I'm pretty sure. All right, uh, that's all I got for tech news. And now time for movie news. 
Michigan. All right. As promised, uh, Jeff Lemire's name has resurfaced on the podcast, and that is because Legendary Entertainment, the company that brought us the uh, – oh, the – what was it? The Nolan Dark Knight movies, and I think they did uh, 300 uh, and uh, several other com- – I think they did Watchmen as well. Um, you know, a, a, a company that is uh, uh, well-known for comic book adaptations – has purchased the film and television rights to Jeff Lemire's other comic book, uh, or one of Jeff Lemire's other comic series, called Black Hammer. And the company, uh, let's see, made the announcement last Tuesday. Lemire will serve as executive producer with Dean Ormston, the co-creator and illustrator of the comic series. It was first published by Dark Horse in 2015. It's about a superhero who joined with other superheroes, including Golden Gale, Barbalian, and Colonel Weird, to save Spiral City, but in the process became trapped in a timeless farm town with little chance of escape. It's received two Will Eisner Comic Industry Awards, including the Best New Series in 2017. So I, I threw this down here in the movie category, because I just kind of associate legendary entertainment more with movies than television. I'm sure they've been involved in both. Um, but uh, this sounds like a pretty cool series. Once again, it sounds like this Jeff Lemire guy is, is, is uh, behind another very interesting plot idea. Um and then this article actually gives a little more background into into him and, and what else he is involved in right now. When I said he has so many things going on, that's two that we've talked about in the podcast today alone, uh, Black Hammer and Sweet Tooth. So it says down here that Lemire has also published graphic novels Essex County and Sweet Tooth, they mentioned, and is in development for film and television products. Uh, projects that include Descender and AD After Death at Sony Pictures, Underwater Welder with Ryan Gosling attached to Direct, Essex County at CBC, and Gideon Falls at Hivermind. So, I mean, that's, I don't even know how many was that. One, two, three, four additional projects. The in 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 you know in in addition to the two that we already talked about today, so that's like six current film or television projects that this guy has all in the works based off of stuff that he's you know previously worked on. Um, it sounds like uh, he's in demand. Yeah, kinda. I mean, good for him. You know, I I don't know much about him to be honest, um, other than what we've talked about here. So I don't. I'll I'll give it all a shot. I mean it, you know, <clears throat> I like uh I like some of the movies Legendary's brought to us. Uh, I was a big fan of 300. I like that movie quite a bit. Uh, right. So, yeah. Why not? Okay, and the other story we've got for you is in relation to something we talked about in the last 
episode uh, when we talked about Filmstruck closing and and the Criterion Collection, and uh, you know what it was, and uh, we we pondered you know what would what would happen to it, and it, in incredibly quickly, uh, Deadline reported that the Criterion Collection has already found a new home. So, uh, let's see, where are the details? A new chapter for the beloved collection of Criterion Films in the spring of 2019 through a special arrangement with Warner Media, the Criterion Channel will launch as a freestanding streaming service. Additionally, the popular library of films will be part of Warner Media's recently announced direct-to-consumer platform that is planned for launch in the fourth quarter of 2019. So essentially, they're going to be available in two places. Uh, they're going to have their own Criterion Collection, Criterion Channel streaming service online that you can subscribe to, I guess, if you want, or if you uh, have, or if you are planning on purchasing, you know, the Warner Media's uh, upcoming service, then they'll also be included there as well. So. Good news for the fans of, you know, the film buffs out there who apparently there was, you know, quite a uh, uh, an uproar, if you will, about, you know, what was going to happen to these films once the film struck closed down. I guess the cult following out there is is that is that uh, intense. Oh, yeah. For the Criterion Collection stuff. <laughs> it's it's a little crazy. They're a little um, rabid. Yeah. All right. So. LOL. OMG. WTF. Was that? And this is usually mine. However, Sean came up with such a good one today that I couldn't not let him do it. It was. It was. Oh, well, good... well. I mean, I gave you the story. Uh, you can proceed to tell it. Oh, good Lord. I don't know how to say this name. <laughs> the, uh, which name? The. the Baphomet? The, Baphomet. Okay. All right. I guess that's how you say it. So we'll go with it. Uh, So the satanic, I didn't want to be like on the bad side of the satanic temple by just pronouncing their God's name. (laughs) So uh, the satanic temple is suing Netflix for $150 million for using a statue of a demon God in the chilling adventures of Sabrina. Um, So this, if you're on the internet at all, you know this statue. It's uh, it's one that actually... It was they famous. Had, they had an Indiegogo campaign in 2014 right. to have this statue cast, built, made, and they're going to put it next to the Ten Commandments that are on display at the Oklahoma State Capitol. Uh, it was moved after a lot of protests, and uh, they put it in Detroit now, um, which seems fitting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I don't know. <laughs> Detroit gets a bad rap, I think. But oh well. Um, so this is a statue of Baphomet, you said? That's how you say it? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and it is, they say, uh, a central icon that has come to represent us, Satanists, as a people. Um, so obviously Sabrina is using this as a... As a as a bad thing, you know, it's a it's a bad god, it's an evil god, blah, scary Satanist stuff, blah blah blah. Um, but and I, I could see the reasoning behind that, 
but then again um okay so this is a quote from the um the satanists uh to have that all at once entirely eclipsed by some netflix show by a production department who did a google image search a lot of people who haven't heard of us first stand just to recognize the monument as the sabrina monument which deludes and degenerates the entire project um Let's see. There, uh, being associ- the statue in the show is associated with evil antagonists, um, characters of the show who worship the Dark Lord or Satan, uh, engage in cannibalism, necromancy, murder, and torture, among other nefarious activities. Um, is saying here from the CNBC article, the Satanic Temple, on the other hand, quote, does not promote evil and instead holds to the basic principle that undue suffering is bad, and that which reduces suffering is good. Um, the organization, uh, it, it hails Satan as a, quote, rebel against God's authority rather than an evil being. I, I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm torn because I do, I, I, I see, I see the, their point. I really, truly see their point. And I almost sympathize with them, to be completely honest, because you would never, I mean, I don't know, because, like, if you watch, um, oh gosh, any movie about the Catholic Church uh, that has, you know, that tries to show the dark side of the Catholic Church, uh, like uh, the Robert Ludlum's, uh, the Da Vinci Code, and all this stuff. You know, it is it is associating a darker side of a religion with a religious icon, the you know the cross and God and all this and the Pope, uh, the Vatican, all this stuff. So, I mean, I understand this happens to all religions. All religions' idols are kind of in TV and movies, at one point or another, are almost demonized. You know, but well, and that's why I I don't think they really have anything to. No, stand I, on yeah. here, but because I, I understand you know, their anger. Yeah, they're getting a bad rap, but you know, so does everybody else. It's not you know, you're just complaining because you're so small and nobody cares about you that when you were finally mentioned, it was in a bad light. Yeah. You know, uh, well, that sucks for you, but the Catholic Church gets mentioned in a bad light and shown like that on television and movies every day all day you yeah. know um so deal with it yeah that's what that's my that's the part where i'm torn i'm like you know i understand that your religion as as they say it is being misunderstood in media because of things like this but so is mo- so are most religions uh the the only difference is like you said the size um you know nobody Nobody believes all that stuff happens in the Catholic Church because that's just a movie, and the Catholic Church is so big and so powerful and so nice and white and clean. And but you know, I mean, there's shitty people everywhere. That's just the way the world works, <laughs> you know. So I, yeah, I don't think they have a leg to stand on, but I do understand their anger. So that's interesting, and I didn't know that's what they uh, that's what they believe. So I mean, that's what they need to get out there. Is their their tenets, their beliefs, their 
moral compass. They need to get that information out there. Forget the statue thing. I mean, yeah, it's a cool statue. The dude's got rock and pecs and all, but it's just a statue. Um, seeing, you know, just putting a cross out there, whether, you know, what, no matter what religion it goes for, or, um, um, I don't know the name of most of the other religious icons. I know what they look like, but, uh, any, any religious icon, it's just an icon. It's just a statue. It's just a picture. It's just a thing. It's the beliefs that need to get out there and need to be understood by anyone interested in following said religion. So church of Satan that's what you need to work on because when people hear satanic temple that gives a lot of people the willies you need you need <laughs> to work on your image not not your statue so okay so let's see here next flicks let's see what we got new and upcoming movies for uh, we're going to be talking about movies from uh, the 19th when this episode goes live up until the 30th, uh, the end of November. Okay. So, 21st. All right. So, November 21st is our first uh, day. This is the Wednesday before what us Americans call Thanksgiving, um, which is a little weird of a day to release a movie. Mm. Oh, well. I think Thanksgiving weekend, like Thanksgiving, is a is a big movie day. That's so weird to me. You should be like at home. It's a holiday. Be home with your family. But I guess if you don't celebrate Thanksgiving, that's it's just another day to you. So, eh. all right. <clears throat> First one on our lists. I'm actually interested to see this. Robin Hood. Uh, nah. No, you're nexting already. No, you can not okay. yet. You can go. I'm, okay. I'm just saying. Nah. Okay. I'm not. I'm not interested really. Jamie Fox, Taron Edgerton, uh, Ben Middleton. Uh, oh, that's good. The story will center on Robin Hood being a war-hardened crusader and joining with a Moorish commander in an audacious revolt against the corrupt English crown. I like it. Yeah, good good synopsis. I just I don't know if it needs to be done again, and it, it looks like you know actiony action movie. You know, it, it looks like yeah. over the top action for a Robin Hood film. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Whatever. I'm not going to see it at the theater or anything like that. I might watch it on the streaming service if it just popped up one day. Maybe. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Next one is Creed 2. This looks pretty good. Uh, Sylvester Stallone, Michael B. Jordan, Tessa Thompson, Felicia Rashad, Wood Harris, Andre Ward. Life has become a balancing act for Adonis Creed. Between personal obligations and training for his next big fight, he is up against the challenge of his life. Facing an opponent which ties to his family's past only intensifies his impending battle in the ring. Rocky Balboa is there by his side through all of it, and together, Rocky and Adonis will confront their shared legacy, questioning uh, what's worth fighting for, and discover that nothing is more important than family. (laughs) Creed 2 is about going back to base. Oh my god, come on next. (laughs) Really? Yeah, it went way too long. (laughs) Was it like another page? Jeez. Remember the last one? More of that shit. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does look really good though. It's uh, you know, a, Apollo's son fighting 
Drago's son and Drago's the one who killed Apollo. It looks great. So it's basically Disney descendants for Rocky. I guess. (laughs) I'm a parent. So, you know, I know those things. Yeah, I I didn't get the reference. This one I have to see. I absolutely have to 110%. Ralph Breaks the Internet. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. John C. Riley, Sarah Silverman, Jack McBrayer, Jane Lynch, Jody Benson, Alan Tiddick. Ralph breaks the internet. Wreck It Ralph 2 leaves Litwuck's video arcade behind, venturing into the uncharted, expansive, and thrilling world of the internet, which may or may not survive Ralph's wrecking. Video game bad guy Ralph and fellow misfit Vanellope Van Schweetz must risk it all by traveling into the World Wide Web in search of a replacement part to save Vanellope's video game, Sugar Rush. In Way Over Their Heads, Ralph and Vanellope rely on the citizens of the internet, the Netsians, to help navigate their way, including a website entrepreneur named Yes, uh, who is the head algorithm and heart soul of the trend. Next, Buzz come Street. on. It's already done. It's already done. Ugh. It did go a little bit long. Uh, they could have they cut out like the whole first half of that, but that's all right. This is again just more of the more of that shit, more of that shit. But on the internet, that's all I needed to know. It's a it's a kids movie. Jeez. All right, limited releases for the rest of those. So let's go back, and now we're going to be talking about. Um, I guess the thirtieth would be our next one. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Wow. <laughs> the 30th is all limited releases. Every one of them. There's not a big movie being released there. Holy cow. I'm just going to pick one with a name that I recognize. Um, I don't recognize his name, but I'm going to I'm going to pick it anyway cuz I like the taglines. <clears throat> Anna and the Apocalypse. Um, let's see here. Ella Hunt, Mark Benton, Paula, uh, Paul K, Malcolm Cumming, Ben Wiggins, Sarah Swire. Uh, okay, a zombie apocalypse threatens the sleepy town of Little Haven. A Christmas at, at Christmas, forcing Anna and her friends to fight, slash, and sing their way to survival, facing the, facing the undead in a desperate race to reach their loved ones. But they soon discover that no one is safe in this new world, and with civilization falling apart around them. The only people they can truly rely on is each other. It is uh, tagged, and this is why I picked it, as a horror holiday zombie musical. Wow. <laughs> hey, Anna and the Apocalypse. Give them a chance. Why not? All right. That is, uh, that is all we got for those. Wow, that was a, that was a short... Next, yeah, next. not a lot. Yeah. Uh, so, Sean, what the hell are you up to? Well, I am nearly finished with uh, an audio book, a new story that I've listened to called Gills All Fright Diner uh, by A. Lee Martinez, narrated by Fred Berman on Audible. Um, it's uh, so far, it's been pretty good. It's um, kind of like a supernatural comedy not super funny you know it's not like slapstick funny it's not like everybody loves big chests or anything but uh you know it's a it's a supernatural type of um 
lighthearted story about a, a werewolf and a vampire that hang out together. They're like Southern hillbilly type guys. And the, this particular story, I don't know if there's others in, in a series or what, but, uh, you know, they, uh, encounter a, a, a diner that's being overrun by zombies and, and then proceed to, you know, get embroiled in the local mystery that's, you know, causing this or whatnot. So, uh, I've read other books by Ailey Martinez. He writes a pretty good story. So, um, so far, this one's been pretty good. I'm waiting to see, you know, how it ends because I'm just kind of curious what, you know, whether there is more to it or not, or whether because like everything I think I've read by him has always been like standalone stuff. He, I don't think he's done like big series that I've ever listened to before. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what he does with this or if this is, you know, leading to to more books or anything. So. Uh, in addition to listening to that, uh, I have not done a whole lot else. Like I couldn't really think of anything else that I had really watched. It's been a lot of television, you know, just keeping up with the current seasons of everything. And, uh, I don't think anything new has debuted recently that I could talk about, but what I have done recently is uh, I'd taken a break for a little while from, you know, playing video games. I typically, you know, just kind of burn out after a little bit and then pick it up again a little while later. And I hadn't played Fallout 4 in a while. Uh, and so I put it back in knowing that I still had stuff to do on there. I, I hadn't even I, I never even finished the main storyline. So, you know, I still got quite a bit to play. And so I put it back in and I started running through the Nuka World uh, DLC and uh, I've been enjoying I've been enjoying that the, the Nuka world is is pretty interesting pretty cool uh, uh, add-on you know uh, the area itself and I know that back when you were playing it you had said something about like moral decisions you had to make or horrifying things that were going on in Nuka world and when I got there you'd be interested to see like what my decisions <laughs> were or something like that so uh, -huh. uh what 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 uh what were you curious about well <clears throat> there comes a part where the second in command basically well he's this yeah he's your second in command at the time uh, he says you basically have to give up one of your settlements to let them raid it and kill everyone and take everything uh, in order to stay in charge. And your choice is basically uh, either let them take a settlement, kill those people, or you kill everybody in Nuka World. Oh, damn. Damn. <laughs> have you gotten to that part yet? No, no, oh. I haven't progressed to that point yet. <laughs> and so far, I've been like specifically avoiding uh, hurting anyone that I feel didn't really deserve to be harmed, exactly. you know? Uh, so like when they give me when the when the gangs are asking me to run jobs for them, you know, there's always a speech option to ask who's the target. And if they say something ambiguous like, oh, it's some fool or, oh, it's just some person who ran their mouth or whatever, like you can be assured that it's just going to be like a dude in, you know, one of the cities that you go to, you know, and you're going to have to murder someone, you know, who may or may not really deserve it. Uh, whereas there are some missions where you can say who's the target and they just say, oh, raiders or, oh, super mutants or whatever. And in those situations, I'm like, oh, cool. I kill them all the time. I'm fine with that. Uh, I'll go kill other raiders or other mutants for you as well. No, I'm, I'm cool. But, uh, but every time they give me a mission and they, or they want, they want to give me a mission, 
and I ask who the target is, and they give me some ambiguous answer like that, and I know it's they're sending me to, uh, you know, kill somebody. Uh, that's when I tell them to fuck off. Uh, in the speech dialogue and tell them I'm not their errand boy or whatever. And then I just come back a couple minutes later and ask for a new mission and do it all over again until they give me one that's not killing people. So if there is no way around it, once you get to that decision point, then yeah, I'm going to have some serious thinking to do. Um, <laughs> What if what if I have a settlement that just doesn't have anybody at it? Can I give them a settlement that is devoid of population? Uh I think you might be able to. I'm not And positive. like when when you give it, like does it turn do you turn it over to them forever? Like, you know, does does it uh do they take it over? No, I don't think they take it over because at that point you're in charge of them. Uh, right. You, they don't really take it over. They just raid the crap out of it. Um, gotcha. I, I'm not positive if it's. I didn't even get that far to like try it. I couldn't do it. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm the f you guys here. Um, I have some guns, <laughs> and I just start shooting. Because I'm people. just wondering if uh, I'm just wondering if I could get around it by like giving them the red rocket. You know, like when you say they raid it, what do you mean? You know, like do, like like I, if you were at the settlement, like do they show up and just kill everything that's around and I then go away? Think, or I think you all, all of you, have to go there and do it. I don't think they do gotcha. it on their own. So, uh, like, I'm just wondering what, ha like, you know, like, I hang out at the Red Rocket. That's my personal settlement. And I don't let anyone else live there except for, like, two um, robots. Uh, that are, One came from, like, the – I think one comes from the, the main quest line in the story. And one comes from, like, the mechanist's lair add-on. And they're both, like, essential companions as far as I know. So, like, they couldn't be killed killed regardless. Um, and so I'm just wondering if maybe I could, you know, run the mission to the red rocket and let them fight it out with those companions and not really get anything out of it. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's something I'll have to read along with on the, the fallout wiki when I get to that point. Awesome. I, yeah, I mean, I, I never even let it get that far. I had to just. Or what if I just? What if I just literally move everyone from one settlement out, you know, and I send them all to sanctuary or something like that, you know, and just literally let them raid a settlement that has no people at it, you know? I don't know. I wonder if the, I'm sure there will be advice into all of this on the wiki. So, yep. I'll let you know what I decide. I can't wait. I, I'd already I'd already seen like while glancing through the wiki while completing some of the stuff I've already been doing uh, references to, you know, a certain. Well, I have a quest right now that some lady gave me where it's just like murder all the leaders of the gangs, you know, and like I read through some of the walkthrough of that quest or whatnot. And uh, and and while reading through it, it explains like how you have to kill like every single bad guy in Nuka world. And it tells you exactly how many Raiders you're going to have to fight off over the course of the fight. And it's like, it's like 80 something Raiders that you have to fight, including like the, you know, named and unnamed guys. And, and, uh, you know, basically saying like, you need to be in, in ready for the, for, for the long haul, you know, have plenty of ammo and, and, and all that kind of shit. 
I can't wait to see what you do. Oh, yeah, I don't know now. <laughs> I, have to, I have to see what my options are. All right. Um, for me, I am uh, playing Pokemon Let's Go Eevee. <clears throat> that just came out. Uh, it's fantastic. If you like the original Pokemon games, you know, yellow, blue, red, um, that kind of stuff, it's basically the same thing. Uh, it's just prettier now. And the Pokemon catching is more like Pokemon Go. Um, it's it's simple uh, for the most part, but it is more like Pokemon Go than it was in the original game. Um, so, yeah, if you like Pokemon, you like the RPG elements, pick it up. It's fantastic. You have uh, Let's Go Eevee, which is really the only version you need to worry about. I mean, there's a Let's Go Pikachu or some shit, but nobody cares about that one. Because <laughs> Eevee is the best Pokemon, so, you know. Um, other than that, I have been playing Fallout 76. I am going to reserve judgment on it because I still haven't gotten that. I don't know. I don't know if I haven't gotten the hang of it. Um, I run away from people. So if you see me in the, if you see me in the game world, don't even bother to come up to me because, uh, I will run away from you. Uh, I'm like a scared rabbit when it comes to multiplayer <laughs> games. I don't like playing with strangers. Um, you can certainly message me on Xbox and try not to be a stranger, and then maybe I'll play uh, in your team, but I, I don't know. <laughs> I still I don't care for strangers very much. So I haven't played a lot, uh, honestly, because of that one fact. Uh, people people want to like play together, so people keep coming up to me and wanting me to like follow them, and I'm like, go fuck yourself. Get away from me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh God, people! Oh Jesus! Uh, yeah, so, uh, that's great. That's what I would do. That's why I don't want to play these. Like, that's why I don't want to play this game. Like, yeah. uh, even if even if I'm trying to play it alone and by myself or whatever, like I, you just you you're gonna constantly be accosted by other real life people. We're trying to be social. Yeah, and I don't want to be social. It does happen. Um. There are some maps I've gotten into and they've left everybody leaves everybody alone, which is awesome. But you never get to pick what map you get loaded into. Uh, so you don't know who you're going to be playing with uh, unless you have friends, you know. But I don't know. Uh, and plus the graphics kind of seem like a big step back from Fallout 4. Like it doesn't look as good as Fallout 4, which is the biggest bummer for me. Because um, <clears throat> I always expect it to at least look the same, if not a step forward. Um, no, no human NPCs in the entire game. It's all robots. That's a little weird and it takes a little time to get used to, but, uh, I don't know. We'll see. I what do you mean no human NPCs in the game? Like all the, all the NPCs are, there's, there's not very many of them and what NPCs there are are robots. So the map. Oh, like, just, like Fallout bots, like yeah. different games, like different robots from the game. Exactly. Gotcha. The map just feels unbelievably empty as far as people are concerned, like just desolate, uh, which might honestly be what they're going for because it is reclamation day. So you're like some of the first people to come out of the vaults. Right. But man, it's a weird feeling. Um, I think honestly, it almost feels like fallout 76 is almost kneecapped and handicapped by just having the fallout name associated with it because you expect something else from a fallout game and fallout 76 almost it doesn't feel like it has it it doesn't feel like it has that 
the characters you care about and you know other things like that because you're supposed to fill those holes of the characters you care about with the other players but fuck those guys <laughs> you know so i don't know i i'm going to I'm going to reserve judgment, but right now I'm not incredibly enamored by it, and I think it probably shouldn't be a full-price game. We'll see what happens. Uh, other than that, because of our last episode when we talked about uh, Boxy T. Morningwood and his uh, series of books, Everyone Loves Large Chests. Um, let's see. the What was it? This I can't is, believe you went out and bought all three. I did. <laughs> I I really did after because well, I listened to the first one. Um, let me see if I can find it here. Uh, what is was it? Uh, what's the name of the first one? Morningwood. Uh, yeah, yeah, I believe. Okay, so Morningwood. Everybody loves large chests. Is the first one. Um, the second one is Fizzle Sprocket. Everybody loves large chests. And then the third one, the one that I've listened to and Sean hasn't, and I'm waiting for the fourth one to come out now like crazy, is Vortina. Everyone loves large chests. Um, I Yeah, I went through, and literally since the last episode, I've listened to all three of these books. And they are all <clears throat> incredibly graphic, like you said. Like, almost uncomfortably so. Right. But absolutely goddamn hilarious. Right. I mean, the character of Boxy T. Morningwood is so funny. <laughs> I just oh, I really love I really love Boxy, and then the guy who answers the phone, Carl, for like <laughs> the demon helpline. Demons those are us. Inter- Carl. <laughs> right. Those interactions are always my favorite in yeah. all of the books. Just like the- I just love the whole idea of like Boxy having to call a demon support line because <laughs> he doesn't understand how the magic works. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like that. I like just just the beginning of all of those calls is fantastic because you hear the ring, and then right. it, you know, demons are us. This is your Carl, or this is Carl. I'll be your liaison for today. And then you have Boxy, who's just like, "Hey, Carl." Right. <laughs> He's like, "Oh, Mister Morningwood, to hear from you again." Yeah, it's so good. Oh, <laughs> is it tasty? snack yeah snack arms (laughs) yeah he gives a stupid name oh i love it so much (laughs) so yeah if you uh pardon me if you don't mind a little bit of uh uh uncomfortable inappropriateness um lots of talk of genitals slapping together (laughs) um it's a fantastic series of books. It's an amazing idea. And just Boxy's personality is just, like I said, damn hilarious. Well, and I'm also like, I, 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 I more and more enjoy every time I read one, that's like, you know, kind of amusing like this. I'm in, I'm more enjoying this style of what they're calling literary RPGs yeah. where, you know, like the characters in the books are literally leveling up, you know, just like you would have if you were playing a game of Dungeons and Dragons. Yep. Uh, and, and so like even Boxy will like take a, t- a moment out or the, or the, uh, the narrator will take a moment out to like read through his stats as if, you know, he had a character <laughs> sheet. Yeah. 
That's so good. <laughs> oh, so yeah, that's what the hell I've been up to. All right. Um, we're done with this one, guys. Thanks for listening, as always. And we'll see you uh, in a couple weeks. And uh, to those of you who celebrated, happy Thanksgiving. To those of you who don't, um, eat, drink, be merry. Why not? Um, I don't have anything for you to say, Sean. So uh, I guess, I don't know, say, um, say goodbye. Why not? Just sign it off however you want. It's all up to you. It's all no, in your freedom. Like that. You can't put the pressure on me like that. Yep, it's all up to you, Sean. We're all counting on you. <laughs> Surely you can't be serious. Don't call me Shirley. <laughs>